Man, what exciting times we live in, huh? You guys didn't know it was exciting times? It's good times. There is no time like right now to be God's man and or woman. To be following Him. To be uh, just excited about the opportunity that God is calling us to go forward and uh, share the good news. Man spent a lot of time trying to twist that of late. But God's got a way of energizing his body and encouraging them to be ready for what God has for us. So I'm excited about the times that are coming, about the things that God's doing. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Psalm 58, and we're going to take a look at a couple of Psalms that I think are kind of apropos for what's going on in our world today, and uh, that, that kind of relate to us the similar things that were going on in the heart of, of David. As we look at Psalm 58, Psalm 58, a, a Psalm of David, again, dealing um, as oftentimes David does with the, the wicked versus the righteous. When we look at the wicked versus the righteous, keep in mind that when David's talking about it, he's talking about the powers. We gathered this concept somewhere that the wicked are people. Well, it's true. We're all wicked people. The Bible says the heart is is desperately wicked above all things, and no one can know it. Not you, not me, only the one who made it. God knows the heart. That's what the scripture tells us. God knows what's in our heart. God knows what's going on. When Jesus was confronted with the concept of his disciples doing wicked things because they were eating with unwashed hands, you remember what Jesus said? Wickedness doesn't come from without. Where does it come from? Within. So when we look at the psalm, and the psalmist is, is challenging his world as he looks around with his worldview centered on God, and he's challenged by the wickedness, keep in mind that he's also challenged by the reality that that lives inside of him. Didn't it? Or David was perfect. Oh, no, we all know David's failures, right? Because like we discussed 800 million times this last year, that we are all stained, we are all broken, we are all bent towards sin. Wickedness lives in our hearts, every one of us. And the good news, the gospel, here's the gospel. That in, in one sentence, God calls all men everywhere to repent and believe. To repent of our sin and to believe and he who the Father sent to put our faith and trust in the finished work, the salvific work of Jesus Christ. Well, when we look at Psalm 58, David, as he's, as he's considering this concept, look what he says. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? That's in that, that, there you go. Do you indeed speak righteous, you silent ones? That, here's what I love about the Bible, and here's what people trip on. So I'm going to try to help you not to trip. The Bible is written in English, our Bibles. 
But it was not originally written in English. How many of you guys know that? Yeah? We're okay with that so far? Okay. The Bible is authoritative and inerrant, which means it is without error, and it is authoritative to speak into your life, into my life today, tomorrow, a hundred years from now, whatever takes place, it is authoritative to do all those things. But the Bible still has limitations, especially in English, to translate thought to us. In fact, one of the reasons why I encourage people when they read the Bible to read five different versions. It's not because those five Bibles are taken from some different text. They're not. They're taken from the same text. But why do we look at five different ones? Because you're translating from another language. You ever had somebody try to tell you a joke in Spanish and they translate it in English and it's not funny? And, and so what they say, what they say to me when that happens is, yeah, it just doesn't make the same kind of sense in English like it does in Spanish. You cannot translate that. We have the same challenges when we go through the Word of God. Challenges of taking words that are what the Bible calls a hapex. Well, the Bible doesn't call it that. Uh, um, uh Scholars call it a hapex legomenon, which means a word that's only mentioned one time. Tell me how you translate that. Only mentioned once. Well, you do the best you can. You look at context. You look at what's going on. You say, okay, so this is what we think this word means. So those are challenges. Those are challenges to us. So why open five different Bibles? Because you have different uh, uh, points of view, different concepts, different ideas, different tracks that they try to take. For example, verse 1. Do you indeed speak righteous, you silent ones? The word for silent ones, translated silent ones, in some Bibles is translated little g gods. That's quite a bit different, right? Well, it's not in the Hebrew. It's one letter. Elem, Elim. I or E. Which one was intended? What was meant by it? It doesn't change the meaning of the, of the text we're looking at. It, has no, it doesn't change it. You're going to get exactly what this text is talking about without knowing that idea. But when we look at five different Bibles, it helps us begin to see. Because when we look at all five, we go, oh, I can see there's, there's a, a, an issue here in the translation. Getting the exact thought over. Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? That kind of helps define it for us, doesn't it? Who, is he, who are the silent ones? Or who are the little g gods? Which could be a reference to judges. We see that occur when men take into their own hands life or death. The Bible calls those men Elohim in Psalm 82. Little g gods or judges. Men who have authority over life and death. But it doesn't change the fact of what he's talking about or what he's looking at. He's saying, look, you guys who are in charge. You leaders. You leaders who are in positions of authority. Do you judge right? How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, judge not? Man, that gets thrown around a lot. Does the Bible say, judge not, that you not be judged? The Bible tells us, judge not, that you shall not be judged. 
What's it talking about? Condemning. Is it our job to send someone to hell? Nope, we don't do that. But does the Bible also command us to judge righteously? It's interesting because when, when people say, don't say that, judge not, lest you not be judged, you know, don't judge me, don't judge. Is that really what they mean? Well, let's do let's, let's, a little experiment. Do people really mean don't judge? Let's see. Is it wrong for a grown man to sleep with a child? Don't judge. Is it wrong for a person to have sex with an animal? Don't judge. No, they're not saying don't judge. What, what, what they are saying is what is your standard of judgment? And for you and I, standard is the authoritative word of God. What does God's word say? Otherwise, what's the standard of judgment? Popular opinion? Should that be it? Is popular opinion always right? Think about what just just not that far back in history. Let's go to World War II. The popular opinion of the German people was that all the Jews should be killed. Man, woman, and child sent to gas chambers, pull out the silver in their teeth, use that to fund the war effort, take all their money, take all the stuff that they have. That was popular. If they had had a vote, it would have passed. Does popular opinion make right? If it doesn't, then when God says judge righteously, he's telling us there is a standard of morality. Is that true? And if there is a standard of morality, here's what he tells us in Romans chapter 1. It's been put in every one of us. That we have all been made in the imageo dea. In the image of God. Everyone. That that image of God in every man, woman, and child is within us. And that it, because of it, we know right from wrong. We may not want to do it. But we know it. So the question in Psalm 58 that he begins with, Do you speak righteous? You judges, people who are in charge, the guys who are in control, do they speak the truth? Will you tell me? At David's time, who's he talking about? Saul. Saul was the guy in charge. Was he speaking the truth about David? No. He said, David wants to take my throne. He's going to kill me. I need to kill him first. Was that true? No, did David ever throw a spear at, at, at Saul? Nope. Did Saul ever throw one at David? Yeah. Do they speak the truth? What does it say in Romans chapter 1? That though they know God, they did not worship Him as God. What, what are they doing? They are suppressing the truth. Now, what it says? Feel free to look at Romans chapter 1. It's right there. What's going on is not a lack of evidence of God. It's not a lack of evidence that the God exists or that His Word is authoritative. It has nothing to do with evidence. It has to do with suppression of truth. It has to do with the image of God within mankind and the unwillingness to be ruled or under the authority of God 
And so man suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. And when he suppresses the truth, what does he do? He worships the creature rather than the creator. He worships God of his own image. And what does God do? He turns him over. Have you judged righteously? Do you judge righteously? He begins, you silent ones. Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? Why not? Look at verse 2. No, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. So here's the, he begins with the challenge. Do you make righteous judgment? Do you make righteous judgment? Do you do what is right? He says, no, because in your heart you work wickedness. Our heart is wicked. Our heart has broken desires and wants. Right? It has broken things within it. And you weigh out the violence of your hands. In other words, our heart has, has evil desires and our hands do wicked things. Where does it all start? What did Jesus tell us? Where does the wickedness begin? In the heart. In the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So, from inside me, I have sin nature. I have a brokenness that is in need of a redeemer. Redemption. So, the ability to judge rightly, I don't have. I don't have it apart from Christ in me. I don't have the ability to judge rightly because my heart is wicked and my hands are quick to violence. Is that true in our world? Hearts bent to wickedness and hands quick to shed blood? Especially innocent blood. So then we have a charge beginning in verse 3. Here's the charge. The wicked are estranged from the womb. So he's saying the wicked, which by the way, in case I haven't been clear, that's everyone, are estranged from the womb. So that means we are born in sin. We are born separated from God. No one is born with a relationship with God. We must receive the gospel, repent and believe, right? This is the, the direction or our overall goal that we want to go. So he's saying the wicked are estranged from the womb. Now think about it. Just a couple of chapters back. Just turn to the left, back to Psalm 51, verse 5. What did David say? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Is that any different? So the wicked are estranged from the womb. David is saying, who who's... A righteous man, what's he saying? I was born in sin. We are born separated from God. We are born with a bent to do evil, a desire to rebel. That is what is in our heart. Look what it says. They go astray as soon as they are born. And how do they go astray? Speaking lies. Speaking lies. He focuses here on the, on the specific thing from man to man in verse 4. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. He's talking about their lies. The lies. The lies that people tell 
like running around and saying, judge not. Is that really what they mean? Sometime this year, a woman named Misty Atkinson is going to be paroled. She's been in prison for four years. She gave birth to a child and didn't see her child for 15 years. When she found her child, he's now 16 years old, she began to have an affair with him. She committed incest, multiple sexual acts, wasn't hard putting her in prison. They had pictures on the phones, texts, all the things that you could possibly imagine. When she came to court, she said, look, I'm not guilty of incest. This is not incest. This is uh, genetic attraction syndrome. I shouldn't be responsible for my actions because this is genetic attraction syndrome. Psychologists said that that happens sometimes in, in people who are related, who have been separated for a long time, and then they see one another again um, after a long separation. Not when they're together, but after there's been this long separation, it can occur. Um, the Bible's just got one word for that. That's sin. It's incest. The Bible would have said that the one who does that should die. Which one, the Bible or our world government, cared more for the young man? Because the world said, four years, how much value is that put on that young man's life? Oh, he, he, he don't care. He just wants to be with her. Why? Because his mind's all jacked up. His mind's all wrapped around the axle. Where's his life going to go now? The Bible valued that young man's life. It said, the soul that commits incest should die. Karat. Be cut off. Well, in our, in our world today, the lies that they would say is that uh, the Christian community doesn't really care about women. All right, well, let's take a look at what the Bible says. A man who rapes a woman should be put to death. Or a man that rapes a woman will spend a couple of years in prison and be released. Which one cares more about the woman? They speak lies. It's a poison that wiggles its way into our heads. So much so we start to believe it. Yeah, God doesn't care about women. How do you figure that? God doesn't care about innocent life. How, how, do you, how do you figure that? The righteous judgment required that God calls his people to judge with righteous judgment. Right and wrong. It's right here. But, but they, they don't want to pay attention. <clears throat> they want to find a reason not to accept it. But it's true. It's powerful. transforms lives. 
Jesus, they were trying to trap Jesus. Speaking lies. Look at Matthew 19. If you want to flip over there with me, I'll, I'll, uh, or you can just hang on and I'll read it to you. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees come to Jesus. It says in verse 1 in Matthew 19, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came to him, testing him, and they said to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Can a man be divorced for any cause? Verse 4. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them how? Male and female. And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to who? And the two shall become one flesh. So the lie says, you know, Jesus never really told us what marriage is supposed to look like. Really? He said from the beginning, God made them male and female. Do you ever think about why God instituted marriage? It's the, it's the one institute in which you can see, sense, or experience a small fraction of the relationship that God has experienced for all eternity. I'm talking about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, united in perfect love, all equal, and yet submitting there's a, a attitude of submission. The son is submitted to the father. The spirit is submitted to the son. Equal submitting. Sound, sound familiar? That doesn't sound like Ephesians chapter five and in God's plan for marriage that a husband love his wife and that the wife would submit to her husband. That in that relationship between a man and a woman, you can begin to experience the definition, the reality of what love is in God's perfect plan. That's God's plan and desire. So Jesus defines it. It says, for this reason, a man will leave whom? Father, Father and? Father. Right? Is that not defined? They came out and said, love has won. When the Supreme Court came forward with its, its uh, proclamation. That's poison. That's a lie. Love didn't win. Hate won. Because the enemy seeks to steal, rob, and destroy. It's not love. The Bible says some harsh things. It says that the father who does not love his child will not discipline him. But the father who loves his child will discipline him promptly. Do we honestly believe it's loving to not tell somebody what they're doing is wrong? That's, when did that become loving? You come home and your little one's sitting at the table eating rat poison. You're not going to say nothing? You're not going to say, hey, you might not want to eat that. 
That's bad for you. No, don't judge. That's not loving. It's poison. Judge righteously. David recognizing in the wicked. And who is the wicked? I I differentiated that right at the beginning, right? We're all the wicked. And apart from Christ working in us, no ability to judge righteously. So it's, it should not be a shocking thing that our, our world has kind of taken a, a, a sharp turn in the opposite direction of God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm less concerned with that and more worried about what's the church going to do about it. We should put our head in the sand? Are we just going to say, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus, get me out of this mess? Hey, I want to see the Lord Jesus come just as much as the next guy. But I don't want to see my neighbor go to hell. Because I'm unwilling to do what Jesus asked me to do at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Go into all the world. Make disciples of every nation. By the way, that word nation is the word ethnos. It means make disciples of every ethnic, diverse person. Cross all ethnic barriers and share the gospel until Christ comes. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? The lies are being spread. The lies are being shared. It says that they're ready to lie even as they come out of the womb. That their poison is like the poison of a serpent. It was interesting because it's subtle. It's subtle. For example, come on. You know, Jesus took all this law stuff that you're all stressed out about, and he said, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's all we need to do. Hallelujah, you're right. You just gave all the law and the prophets. Because all the law and the prophets are summed up in the concept to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, when Jesus spoke that, you realize he was quoting that out of the Bible. He quoted it out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. Do you mean that's in the Old Testament? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? But then the poison. Here's how the poison goes. The lies that they speak. Oh, man, come on. Then you can't eat bacon. You can't eat shellfish. You can't do any of that stuff. Wow, you guys are killing me. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning around verse 11, it tells us that the middle wall of separation... The, the, the written ordinances against the Gentiles, that those were taken out of the way by Christ, that he became the fulfillment of those things so that we could have righteousness with him. So, eat up. All that stuff was taken away. But it doesn't have anything to do with the other. Love God 
and love your neighbor. And the world's all twisted up over it. They're all twisted up. It is loving to say, the road you're on leads to destruction. And men may hate you for it. So what? Some places they're lopping their heads off. So far we're not facing that. Maybe next week. But so far we're not facing that. Leviticus chapter 18 lays out for us God's righteous judgment for relationships. Tells us what's okay and what's not okay. Deals with incest. Deals with right relationships and marriage. Deals with adultery. It doesn't just deal with twisted stuff. All of it. All of it. Every single part of it. In fact, if we, if we take a look at what God says in, in Leviticus 18, beginning about verse 20. I'll I just run it for you guys. It's pretty easy. I would think it would be pretty easy. Leviticus is so wore out in my Bible, it's getting hard to get to it. Leviticus 18, beginning at verse 20. Just listen. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. It means don't kill your children. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord, Yahweh. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. You shall not, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's perversion. Do not defile yourself with any of these things. Listen, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. When Israel went in and took the promised land, it was for those violations. And God said, the land vomits you out. Leviticus 19, the next chapter, describes what it is to love your neighbor as yourself. The poison, the lies that are spoken because of a heart of wickedness. It says, they are like the deaf cobra that stops its ear, which will not heed the voice of the charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Now, all cobras are deaf. Well, all snakes are deaf. They don't hear. The point is, he's, he's drawing a picture, right, of the cobra and the charmer. We've all seen that, right, where the charmer plays the pipe, right, and the cobra dances with the pipe. Well, the reality is it's not the music. He's just following the swinging of the pipe. The cobra focuses on the swinging of the pipe and follows that. But he says, you are like speaking lies, poison, which has to deal with men toward men, telling lies to one another. And toward God, you have a deaf ear. You see the pipe moving, but you don't want to follow it. 
You see the truth, the reality of God's word, but you, but you don't want to follow it. And Romans chapter 1 tells us it's not an evidence issue. What's the issue? Sin. He suppresses the truth. He suppresses the truth. Man suppresses the truth. He knows because he is created in the image of God. He's got God's fingerprint on him. But because he loves the darkness rather than the light, he turns a deaf ear toward God. He sees the reality of God moving back and forth, but he will not dance. Which ultimately is what God's looking for. God expresses our relationship with him like that of a dance where, where we live our life out following him step for step. He takes us through, guides us through the struggles and the hardship and the issues of life, bringing us from beginning to end. But these who will not judge righteously, whose heart is full of wickedness, whose hands are quick to violence, they speak lies to their brother and turn a deaf ear toward the Lord. So then the psalm moves to what's called an imprecatory psalm. An imprecatory psalm, basically the concept is evil men must give an account. They must be held accountable. And we look at it sometimes and it, and it, and it trips us out. So hopefully I can help you a little bit as we look at it. Because David says crazy things like what he says in verse 6. Break out their teeth. But that doesn't seem very nice. Well, come on. The Psalms are written in verse. It's like reading poetry. And when poetry is put together, there's a, a point behind the poetry. Right? And the idea, what's the point behind the poetry? Break their teeth and their mouth, O God. Break out... The fangs of the young lions, O Lord. And what's he talking about? When the idea was this, this picture of gnashing, especially with a lion. What's, what's most frightening about a lion? When he roars and you see them big old fangs. So what's he saying? I think he's saying it, it, poetically, don't be afraid of them. We don't have to be afraid of them. Make me not afraid of them. Knock out their teeth. I won't be afraid. Look what he says in the next one. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. And when he bends his bow, let his arrows uh, be as if cut in pieces. So don't let them do damage. Don't let me be afraid of them. Don't let them do damage. Like shooting a bow with broken arrows. If you've ever shot a bow with broken arrows... It only hurts the person shooting the bow, not the person he's shooting at. And it, and it hurts the person shooting the bow bad. <laughs> so don't do it. The, it. You end up with an arrow in your own arm. Bad. So he's saying, don't let them do damage. So the damage that they want to do to others, let it, just let it reflect back on them. Don't let them do damage. And then in verse 8, let them be like a snail which... Melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. The point is, let, make them unable to affect others. Like a, like a snail melting away. You ever dump salt on a snail and, 
I'm melting. Let it just let it just melt away in its slime. Or like a stillborn baby that never sees a baby born dead, never sees the light of day. Make them unable to affect others. So when he comes to the imprecatory part or the part of the psalm where David is asking that God would move on the wicked, just 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 try to see it. Not so much as God taking a bat and bashing their heads in, but God, but saying, no one need to be afraid of them. There are a lot of people afraid right now. I don't know why, but the people are freaking out. You, you haven't seen any of that? Maybe I'm the only one that sees it. But there's nothing to freak out about. The world didn't just turn upside down yesterday and become wicked. That's been going on for a while. It's not... It's, that's all not something. We don't have to be afraid. What's going to happen? Whatever God ordains is going to happen. Why am I going to worry about that? I go all the way back to Matthew chapter 28 and say, I got one job to do. Tell the gospel. Share the gospel. Take the gospel to the nations. Take the truth to the lost. Tell them that's a cliff you're running off of. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. To share the truth. I don't have to be afraid. I don't want to see him do damage. Is there damage being done? There's incredible, crazy, nutty damage going on right now. What's wrong with asking God not to let any damage take place? There are are all kind of kids right now who are so confused about their own sexuality that they don't know what they are anymore. I don't know if I'm a man, I don't know if I'm a woman, I don't know if I like guys, I don't know if I like girls, I don't know, I don't really know how I feel, I guess I just got to try it all and figure out who I am. Or, I can believe that God's word is authoritative. I can listen to the lies of the poison of the serpent. Right? Or I can judge righteously. What's God's word say? And I can say that is go- That needs to be authoritative. Remember, what's your foundation? If you say judge not, then that means don't judge nothing. That means if, if, if you're not allowed to judge, everything's alright. Everything is permissible. Because you don't have a standard to go to. Supreme Court just decided that the Ten Commandments needs to be removed from the Capitol. Bully for you. It really doesn't make that much difference to me because you haven't read it all the time it's been there anyway. It don't do no good if you don't ever look at it. Because the Ten Commandments says some horrible things. Thou shalt not kill. That's terrible. What right do you have to judge me? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, come on. That's getting way too close to home. Nowadays, adultery is okay. So the fact that they want to move it, bully for them. Move it. That's nothing new. But it's okay for me to pray that they don't do damage. That don't confuse people. And if people are confused, it's not the Supreme Court's fault. It's not the politician's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. 
it is mine. If judgment would begin in the house of God, then there would be no need for judgment outside. Let judgment begin in the house of God. We have the truth, but we're afraid to tell anybody about it. Well, I might hurt their feelings. Are you kidding me? What's going to hurt worse? You telling them the truth? The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the lies of an enemy. So we want to be able to share righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. To share the truth with what's going on. Then we have verse 9. Remember I told you sometimes when we come to uh, uh, translations of books and from other languages, things don't translate. This is one of those verses. If you look at your footnotes in your Bible, it'll say, yeah, we're not really sure what this says. That's why when you look at it, you, you say, what? Well, let's read it. It says, before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. Oh, let me give you another one. Same verse. Ere they perceive it, he pulls them up like thorns, like weeds, which in his wrath he sweeps away. Oh, let's try a third one. Before they perceive the thorns, he will strike them with a bramble, like running water, like raging water, he will sweep them away. The overall point is the same. But understand, comprehending the Hebrew words, when you have a hapex legamenon, a, a, a word that's only mentioned one time, you don't get to look it up somewhere else and say, how was that translated? You get what I mean? So, we have some mystery. But the idea, the overall idea of it all is that before they, who's the they? Who's the they who are perceiving it? The wicked. Before they perceive it, before they recognize what's going on around them, judgment comes. Like a whirlwind, come out of nowhere. Like running water, raging water, it sweeps them away. Now, judgment is not a happy thing. God's people always love justice. I love it when God's making things right. But judgment is hard to watch. Do a little research. Read the book of Revelation and note the times in which God wipes away the tears from your eye. And tell me after what event is he wiping your tears. It is after his judgment. Judgment of God is right and holy. But I'm not looking forward to the day when God sweeps away all the ungodly. There's a lot of people lost in that sweep. I have a job to do. I have a message to proclaim. I have words to share. That God calls all men everywhere to repent. And believe. God calls all men everywhere. Who is God willing to save? All who call upon his name. 
How will they know? Unless someone goes and tells them. Sometimes I think we sit around and we say, Lord, and I can't wait. Can't wait for you to come and deliver me from this wicked world. Sometimes what we're saying when we say that is, I don't really want to do what I'm supposed to do. I only got so much time. I get older every day. I got 24 hours every day I get to spend. You want to define it a different way? Let's do it this way. You get 24 talents every day. How do you spend them? You're probably going to sleep eight of them. Maybe six, four, three, doesn't matter. You're going to work 12 of them. Are you going to redeem the time? Those things all have to occur. But none of those things limit my ability to do what God's asked me to do. Herald the good news. Jesus Christ has called all men everywhere to repent and believe. The good news that he has asked us to share. In verse 10 it says, So the righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. What's he mean? The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. What did God tell us in the book of Hebrews? Vengeance belongs to who? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Why does God say he's the ultimate judge? The book of Corinthians says, Judge no man before the time when God reveals the intent of the heart. God knows really what's going on inside of a man. We can't see inside of a man, can we? So we look at it. We, we recognize that God is the ultimate judge. That's why he says, Give me the right to vengeance. Who has ever, ever, ever done you wrong? Whatever sin has ever been done to you is mild in comparison to what we have done to God. Mild. I don't care what it is. Mild compared to what we... And God has extended forgiveness to us. He says, you give me the right to vengeance. So when God judges, it will be right and true. He can do it right and true. Thankfully, it will not ever depend on me. So the righteous, those who love the Lord, they delight in justice. But then it says, he shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Man, that's, that's crazy. What's he talking about? Well, we flip over into the old testament prophets to the book of isaiah and isaiah chapter 63 and it describes an event we also see that same event described for us in revelation chapter 14 and in revelation chapter 19 in isaiah 63 this is what it says who is this who comes from edom with dyed garments from bolzra this one who is glorious in his apparel Traveling in the greatness of his strength? The response? It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Who do you think is talking? Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads a winepress? 
He responds, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger. Who's he trodden? And their blood is sprinkled on my garments. And I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. And my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger. Made them drunk in my fury. And brought down their strength to the earth. He will wash his feet in their blood. Revelation chapter 14 verse 19. Looking now to the future event that occurs. uh, Many people believe at the battle of Armageddon. Har Megiddo. In Revelation chapter 14. I think describing uh, this same event. In verse 19 it says this. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth. And gathered the vine of the earth. And threw it into the great winepress. Of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. And blood came out of the winepress. Up to the horse's bridles. For 1,600 furlongs. For 200 miles. Now, whether that's literal or figurative is less important than the reality that what it describes is judgment. It it describes an end. It describes a time when decisions are made. When doors are closed. When windows are shut. The Bible says... Currently, today, now is the time of salvation. Today is the day. Now is the time. What does God call us to do now about it? So that we don't find ourselves in this description of judgment of God. Treading of the wine press. The washing of his feet in blood. The judgment of God. What do we do? Repent and believe. It's not... So difficult that anyone can't do it. But the Bible says this. This is a condemnation of the world. The light came to the world. But men loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds were evil. In verse 11, what occurs afterwards. Mankind will say. Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. God, the ultimate judge. The heathen will say, at the end, the Bible tells, at the judgment of God, they will call the righteous, the judgments of God righteous and true. Righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. Everyone will declare it. You are right in your judgment. David recognizing these things and discussing the difference between the wicked and the righteous is saying to God, listen, 
These guys, Saul, these people I'm facing, they don't know how to judge rightly. Their hearts are wicked and they're speaking lies and all this stuff's coming. So God, what I, what I really need you to do is make it so I'm not afraid of them and make it so that they're not able to do damage and make it so that they can't affect others because I know that the day of judgment is coming. And when that day of judgment comes, all mankind everywhere will agree that your judgment is right and true. But David didn't have a commission we have. We have a job to do. We have a word to share. And it don't matter what nobody says about it. That word needs to go forth. It needs to be shared. It needs to go out. We come to Psalm 59. It does the same thing. Again, this is set to do not destroy. Same music from the previous psalm. A victim of David when Saul sent men to watch his house to kill him. To That night his wife lets him out the window and he runs away and lives for the next 10, year, 10 years in caves. The wicked men drive him from his own home. And what does God do? What, what, what is it that David's prayer is to God? Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from bloodthirsty men. And what's wrong with that being our prayer every day? We have a role, a, a, a job, a thing God's calling every one of us to. And if we love the Lord our God with all our heart, then we want to be obedient to the things He's called us to. John would say it like this, if, if you love God, you'll keep His commandments, and they're not burdensome. Well, Matthew 28 is a command. It doesn't say if you feel like it, go to all the nations. If you feel like it, tell people about Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says, go, therefore. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said. Go, therefore. And make disciples. And verse 3 says, for, for look, they lie in wait for my life. The mighty gather against me. And it's not because of my transgression or for my sin, O Lord. It's not something I've done. I haven't done something wrong. The Bible says if you suffer persecution because you're a moron, well, in, in Jackie paraphrase, you, you deserve it. Don't be dumb. But if you suffer persecution for you haven't done anything wrong. Then he says, count it all joy. You're suffering, you're partaking in the sufferings of Christ. That's the same way they treated him. And that's the way that they're treating you. It says they run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. He's saying, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong, God. Defend me, help me, be with me, deliver me, save me. He says, awake to help me and behold. And it's like as he's calling out to God, Lord, I need your help. And, and things are really hard. It's really difficult for me to do what you're asking me to do. He, he, as he's saying this, all of a sudden he has a vision of God. Look what it says in verse 5. You therefore, Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. You therefore, Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of hosts, the God of the angel armies. The God of all the heavens. The God with all this power. Everything. He, he begins to have a vision of God's ability. That God is able. And then he says, so awake to punish all the nations. I'm not just talking about Saul no more, right? 
Because all the world finds itself in opposition to God and rebellion against God. So David says, man, God, you're so big and you're so mighty and you're so strong. Lord, awake and, and punish the nations because evil men need to be held accountable. The day will come. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. Say, oh, David was famous about saying, no, don't, don't be merciful for those, those wicked guys. Hold them accountable. Who's wicked? Who's the wicked? Don't lose sight of that. Because people do that all the time. And they think, all oh, them people are wicked. Those people are wicked. That Supreme Court's wicked. That president's wicked. Not more wicked than I am. We're all, yeah. We're all wicked. We're all wicked. What does the Bible declare? God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God doesn't, is not required to have mercy on any of us. It is the grace of God that he has mercy on us at all. It is God's grace that he has mercy. So, it says, at evening they return. This is a a common uh, refrain in the song. Look, at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. So he's he's describing the wicked. Like a dog, running around the city, growling, looking to cause trouble. You guys don't know anybody like that, do you? Does that dog resemble you at all? Running around the city looking for trouble to get into? Indeed, it says, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips and they say, who hears? Who hears? What is it, the wicked? The wicked challenge God's sovereignty. God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? The Bible says God is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, desiring that no one would perish. God's not quick to bring judgment. He's not quick. Judgment means end of opportunity. So they say, Lord, God doesn't hear. God's not going to do anything. But look what it says in verse 8. But in sharp contrast, you, O Lord, Yahweh, you will laugh at them. Laugh at them. And you shall have all the nations in derision. All the people. God is going to judge. The Lord said to Jesus Christ, Sit here until I make your enemies a footstool. I will bring all the nations. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So what is it that David says? So I will wait for you. Oh, you his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. Isn't that what he did? So David's thinking, man, the wicked is a mess, and Saul's a mess, and I'm a mess, and all these problems, we're broken, and we're separated from God, and so I'm just going to wait for you, God, because my God of mercy will meet me. Where did he meet him? He said, I'll meet you between the cherubim. That's what he told Moses, what he told Adam. I'll meet you between the cherubim. Where was the cherubim? Over the mercy seat. What did the mercy seat do? Cover the failings of the people. And what did they apply to the mercy seat? The blood of the Lamb, which enabled God's grace to pass over the sins of his people. And who is the blood of the Lamb? Jesus Christ meets him at the mercy seat. 
pays the price. There's nobody on earth today that God's not willing to meet at the mercy seat. It's easy. Anyone can go there. All they have to do is repent and believe. That's it. Repent and believe. For God is my defense. God shall let me see my desire on my enemies. Again, he moves to the imprecation, the the attitude of the psalmist saying that evil men have to be held accountable. Here's what he says. Do not slay them, lest the people forget. He, he, He wants them to be an example. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Scatter the, the enemies, but leave them so that the people say, we can look at them and say, look, you don't want to be that. Don't go that way. Leads to destruction. Don't take that path. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, then let them even be taken in their pride. And for the cursing and lying, which they speak. We've been talking about that all night, right? The poison of their lips, the lies, the little twists. Taking scripture and throwing it out there and, and, and applying it as though it applies. Let them be taken in their pride. Consume them in wrath. Consume them that they may not be. Romans 1, 16 through 25 tells us that because mankind created in the image of God is suppressing the truth of God, not lack of evidence, suppressing the truth of God in unrighteousness, because he is doing that, he is storing up for himself wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that all of us, we were all children of wrath. He says, and such were some of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9 and, and, uh, and on talks about the idea that, that uh, uh, this list of things, of people, sins that keep people out of the kingdom of God. There's a whole slew of them. whole slew of them. And at the end of it, what's it say? And such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been glorified. How did that occur? You repent and believe. We all find ourselves as children of wrath. We're all wicked. We all have twisted hearts. Everyone. And we stand in a place of, uh, of offense toward God. It says, let them know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. And then verse 14, we have that refrain again. And at evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. They come like a dog looking for trouble. They wander up and down for food and howl if they are not satisfied. They make a lot of noise. Looking for some trouble, looking for something that's going to satisfy but nothing satisfies. For we were created to be satiated in one way. To be made whole in one way. You and I are all made whole the same way. 
by his stripes you are healed. You are made whole in your relationship with Christ. How do I have that relationship? Repent and believe. Then he says, But, strong contrast to these dogs who can't be satisfied, I will sing of your power. I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and the refuge in the day of my trouble. God, you're everything that I need. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense. My God of mercy. The God who met me. That's the truth of what God's word declares. God is able. He gives us that which we need to judge.